electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Scott Wapner with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl Jim and David have the morning off. Let's get you set up for the trading day by taking a look at futures this morning. Stocks are coming off their worst day in four weeks, and they look now to open lower yet again. In fact, the Nasdaq's coming off its first back-to-back losses. In three weeks, Nasdaq would open lower by 20, the Dow would be down by 50, and the S&P by about five and a half. And the latest S&P Case-Shiller report is out, showing a 3.3% gain in home prices during October compared to one year ago. Our roadmap starts with the decade-long bull run. Stocks on track for their best year since 2013. Markets poised for a lower open on this final trading day of 2019. Plus, Uber and Postmates sue California. The ride-hailing giant and delivery firm are trying to block a law that would require them to treat gig workers as employees. And the ousted head of Nissan Renault fleeing to Lebanon, Carlos Ghosn, saying he was escaping what he called a rigged Japanese justice system. Oh, as we head into the final trading session of 2019, the Dow up 22% year-to-date, the S&P 500 with a 28.5% gain, and the Nasdaq outperforming both indices, jumping by almost 35%. So, oh, what a year it's been. I guess maybe we're going to go out with a little bit of a whimper. Yeah, not too much of a surprise, just a little, uh, I I think, a little housekeeping and trimming by the uh, by the end of the year. Yesterday was very much a, uh, you know, cash in a little bit on some of the winners and, and pick up some of the losers. That's kind of what you might expect to, to continue with to January. But I do think uh, we're going out on a note uh, that says the market is building an optimistic picture. And the question is, does that a picture take shape in a more uh, in a more visible, tangible way in 2020? Uh, valuations have come up. But that's because financial conditions are very loose. We've avoided recession. Recession does not seem imminent. All those things together at the later phase of a long bull market, this is basically how the market trades. It's pretty incredible. You've seen strong gains across stocks, bonds, and some of those key commodities like gold and oil. Best year for oil since uh, 2016. Best year for gold since 2010. Tech, once again, on pace for the best year since 2009. And biotech's had a strong year as well. The IBB uh, is on pace for its best year since 2014. The question is, are we going to continue to see these trends play out into the new decade? The market seized on where it could find growth in terms of corporate earnings streams. And Apple, now, of course, the largest company by market value in the world, was the 11th best performer so far this year in the S&P. So how often do you have the biggest company uh, in the top 2% of performers? Yeah, New York Times, to to Morgan's point today, uh, markets in 2019 couldn't lose money if you tried. Yeah. Uh, it was just that difficult, right? Bond stocks, gold, oil, commodity space uh, looked pretty good. The only thing that was hard to make money in, apparently, was uh, wine and art <laughs> and diamonds. Because those were the only investments, it appears, that suffered 
uh, any sort of decline. And those things also uh, didn't crash year. at the end of, la- of 2018, <laughs> yeah. so you didn't have that kind of benefit of coming off a low base. Yeah. Hey, Peter did. Navarro says at least 32,000 on the Dow there you go. in 2020. Just so White House advisors in. are making their stock calls now as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, when you think about it, it's not that big of a leap. I mean, if you figure, as we've said the last couple of days, history suggests that you you know, you could have a double-digit percentage move in stocks, which would certainly get you there. Yeah, it wouldn't be, yeah. It wouldn't be out of the realm. I mean, none of this is out of the realm. And I do think it's very interesting how people are, are trying to the, – the math takes you to a pretty low return-type forecast, positive but low returns. But, you know, a given calendar year doesn't always conform to that type of, uh, that type of uh, performance. In fact, very rare to get a 5 or 10% calendar-to-year gain even though that's the basically long-term average of what you get annualized. It does seem like, and I know we touched on this yesterday as well, dollar strength, the fact that the dollar uh, is continuing to come off, you've got the dollar index lower again today, is going to be one of those key things to watch in 2020. What that means for the earnings picture, uh, what that means for the manufacturing picture, and then, of course, for some of these other asset classes like commodities as well. You guys said, I mean, table set. Table set pretty well for the year ahead. You know, economy's looking pretty good. Consumer's in pretty good shape. You know, you've got some of the, the noise of trade, you know, out of the way, at least initially. You know, you could expect... I uh, think that's, that maybe is the biggest change, and that we're probably going to see that we're pretty much finished talking about trade, I think. Unless, uh, as it sits right now, if this deal gets signed, trade it's no China, longer... You mean. I think it's still... Look, trade going into this phase was never a big swing factor in the markets. It was just a kind of generalized, ah, we try to get a better deal here and there. I think it probably gets back to that mode. Even if it makes headlines, I don't think the market is going to fixate on it so much. I hope not. I, I, I mean, to spend another year having it, to talk it, about by the way, it never was that sort of thing on trade <laughs> right? uh, every single day. And your point, though, the market, I know it was a headline and it was a story all year long. The market hit new highs repeatedly in the face of trade headwinds. And right. tariffs. It wasn't that huge of a, a deterrent to stocks doing their thing and having a good year. It was a it was an immediate reflex catalyst numerous times when the market was ready to have that kind of a of a of a of a move based on a stimulus, but if you basically got the deal that was kind of on the table in May and the market was higher when you got the deal in December than you got in May, it shows you it wasn't the only thing that mattered. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, though, that you would have all of this bluster about trade, that you would have tariffs put into place and you'd do nearly 30 percent in stocks, yeah. I'd have told you no way. It's been that kind of year, though. The Which market's been able to look past certain things. global economic uh, you know, accident. It was a slowdown, for sure but not, uh, not something that got out of hand. And it speaks to the role that the Fed has played in its cuts this year and other central banks around the world with their stimulus as well. Also, I think you cannot discount how big of an impact tax reform and deregulation in this country has been. And I think the debate is out there with, with another year under the belt on just how much that has offset any kind of impact we could have seen, at least here in the U.S., you hit it on though. those tariffs. It's the, it, with the Fed. I mean, the Fed changed the game um, heading into this year, and it stayed that way, and that enabled stocks to do what they've done. Let's bring in Stiefel's head of uh, institutional equity strategy, Barry Bannister, and advisor investment CIO, Jim Lowell, to continue the conversation. All right, Barry, it's been a great year. Where do we go from here? Yeah, I know. Uh, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but if you think about it, uh, uh, the uh, recessions tend to be high impact um, and low probability events. And there have been seven uh, recession-related bear markets and declines in the last 50 years. Uh, We think there's about a 20% chance of a recession in the next 12 months in 2020. 
uh, and we would have to haircut the fair value by about 7%, probability times outcome. Uh, and that's about uh, why, that's why our target price on the S&P, which is 3250 or so, uh, is below the 3500 value that you could get to at a 20 multiple at zero real rates on about 175 consensus earnings, which is above our estimate as well. I mean, so in your mind, the S&P is going to do nothing next year, even with a prediction of only a 20% chance of, of recession. That, 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 how does that, would, how's that mess? Yeah, we would... Well, we would like to see the uh, recession probability recede. I think the market is underestimating the risk on the oil side towards mid-year. The Saudis will probably do anything it takes to get Aramco off their local stock exchange and onto a big board like uh, London. And uh, that requires higher oil prices and uh, significant production cuts on top of what they've already done after they monitor compliance among the rest of OPEC but in the March meeting. The second thing is Iran has maximum leverage to uh, deal with the administration around the July 4th driving season. So towards mid-year, there could be trouble in the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, Also, the yield curve is a pretty good predictor of uh, trouble, and we are at maximum consumer confidence as well. It's the highest it's been since 99 and 69, 1999 and 69. So, again, we are constructive on sector rotation, and on October 13th, we rotated from being defensive, where the market had been flat for about 600 days, point to point, from late January to uh, late uh, early October. And we rotated to a cyclical profile, energy, materials, industrials, uh, technologies, and financials. And we're going to stay with that long, short, uh, cyclical to defensive ratio as we go into 2020. Jim, I think that's a key question. I I wonder at what point do investors start to really hone in on the geopolitical risks out there? I mean, you have folks storming the embassy in Iraq right now on the heels of those uh, U.S. precision strikes over the weekend. We've seen protests flaring up and in many cases getting more violent and bigger in many parts of the world right now. All of these simmering tensions with Iran overall, North Korea, I could just go down the list right now. Does any of this begin to impact the market and how investors are thinking about uh, where they're putting their money? No, it does not. Not unless and until there's enough of an impact in one of the regions you just mentioned to spill over and have lasting economic impact. Will it have a market impact? Investors basically have become rightly uh, skeptical of all the theories that uh, draw from headline risk events. And I think as you go into 2020, just as in 2019, it's going to be very important not to let your investment decisions be driven by either fear or fear of missing out. Equally as important, don't let your political views get in the way of your investment goals. The reality on the ground is that all of those risk events that you're talking about could, uh, any one of them and or more than one of them, spill over into the marketplace. But it would take, I think, something quite dramatic. The most dramatic thing that we see uh, on the screen that we know is going to take place in 2020 is the U.S. elections. I wouldn't be surprised to see some very volatile street protesting going on inside the U.S. as we wend our way up to and through that election. I think the 2020 U.S. election is the biggest risk with the greatest unknown outcome that 2020 investors face. All right, so that begs the question then, if you don't want to invest based on fear or fear of missing out, where do you put your money? Well, first of all, you follow the fundamentals. With the Fed in the corner and the consumer doing very well, I think you continue to focus on the things that drive the market for long-term investors. Those are earnings, interest rates, 
economic data, if we begin to see cracks in the consumer, if we begin to see cracks in earnings, if we begin to see the Fed do something unexpected, then, of course, we'll reassess. But right now, we think the most prudent approach to 2020 is the approach long-term investors should always take, a disciplined, diversified approach with a good mix of both equities, bonds, and a little bit of cash, not just as a buffer, but also to take advantage of dips. Uh, Barry, uh, you know, we basically had this relief rally over the last few months when the market realized, hey, a 2% economy is not so bad. At what level of the S&P do we have the realization that, hey, a 2% economy is just not quite good enough? Is that a dynamic we're going to be facing at some point next year? Yeah, there's no question that the Fed engineered a rise in the price-to-earnings multiple of the S&P 500 by driving the real interest rate back down to the level of inflation. So you've got about a 1.55% Fed funds, and you've got about a 1.5% core PCE deflator. As a consequence, your PE multiple is approaching 20 times as a fair value or full value, I should say, for 2020. The street is looking at $175 of earnings this uh, year coming up. Uh, we're about almost $10 below that, but the market's going to price off the consensus. Uh, in that case, you could argue for 3500 for the S&P if you believe there's no chance of a recession in 2020. And that is the big question. Will there be a catalyst for a recession in 2020? And how much do you haircut the market based on those probabilities? Barry, what do you think earnings are going to be? In, in the year ahead, earnings growth. I mean, th that's going to determine whether stocks, quote unquote, deserve to be at the levels they are. Exactly. And one of the reasons why your previous guest had said uh, that the uh, market had uh, somewhat limited upside in the previous show was because the earnings growth would only be about five, four or five percent uh, in a optimistic, uh, you know, scenario for 2020. As a consequence, at a very full multiple on the earnings, uh, you have very low single-digit, maybe mid-single-digit potential gain. Again, if you can avoid a shock, a recession, and all kinds of mayhem uh, that uh, we all fear. So we're climbing that wall of worry right now. Yeah, we'll see how far we climb it. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in 2020. That's Barry Bannister and Jim Lowell. When we return, a new controversy surrounding Carlos Ghosn, the former Nissan chairman fleeing Japan ahead of his financial misconduct trial. We'll tell you what he's saying about his departure. Meantime, let's take another look at the S&P's biggest gainers for the year. Chipmaker AMD leading the pack. Other chipmakers like Lamb and KLA also uh, up almost 100% on the year. We got more Squawk on the Street live from Post 9 at the NYSE after this break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Times Square is not going to look like that later. In fact, they're going to be lining up and packing that place pretty soon. Meantime, former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn is now in Lebanon. He fled Japan where he had been awaiting trial on financial misconduct charges. Ghosn issuing a statement saying, quote, I am now in Lebanon and will no longer be held hostage by a rigged Japanese justice system where guilt is presumed, discrimination is rampant, and basic human rights are denied. I have not fled justice. I have escaped injustice and political persecution. Japanese officials have denied mistreating Ghosn. This is an unbelievable story. It the just keeps getting Great escape, if you will, uh, and how he may have done it. You know, there are some r- reports out there about, uh, you know, a large box used for transporting musical instruments may have been used, a private jet and the like. Yeah. Um, I would assume we'd get a TikTok at some point on how this all happened, but it's remarkable. It is. I mean, so he, he's a citizen in three countries, France, Lebanon, and Brazil, and apparently all three of his passports were confiscated by his lawyers who say they still have them. So that's the other question is, how did he get out? Did he use a false identity? Shares of Nissan are actually lower on this as well today. Um, and it doesn't look like we've gotten any comments from Japanese authorities on the situation yet either. You know, I just saw something cross on the bottom of the screen, and I just want to read it for anybody. It's not related to this specific story, but apparently the president is saying that the trade deal with China is going to be signed on January the 15th. So in uh, in a couple of weeks, that kind of holds to the schedule we heard yesterday. Yeah. Uh, China South Morning Post was saying it was coming up soon. There was yes. a report from Navarro yesterday that it could be within a week or so. So we'll let that slide a bit. But you're talking, to, and there it is right there yeah. at the bottom of your screen. You're seeing now President Trump saying the China trade deal to be signed on January 15th. At the White House. Yeah, we'll see what the, uh, the market reaction, if any, uh, is to that. Uh, but there is a tweet from the president uh, right now regarding that. A ceremony, he says, will take place at the White House. High-level uh, representatives of China will be present. At a later date, it will be going to Beijing, where talks will begin on phase two. Uh, that uh, may be the, the biggest headline of the whole tweet, is that last sentence there that the president says he's going to go to Beijing, uh, where talks will begin on, on phase two. So a, a yeah, face-to-face we'll with I, I uh, President fa- Xi. Phase two is just this kind of hazy thing that hangs out there. And, I mean, honestly, once we get into next year and, you know, you're anniversarying the, the tariffs that have already been in place, I don't think it necessarily is going to be a big worry point for the market. And anything that comes further down the road in terms of an agreement would be potentially a small bonus. It'll be interesting to see, though, what phase two entails and also the details around uh, phase one as well. I mean, we've gotten, we've heard from officials within the White House what, what's involved, but the actual details, you've already got people starting to poke holes in this idea of some of the structural reforms, state subsidies. If that's not in phase one, is it in phase two? And is that going back or to Or is there point? a phase two? Uh, let's there- be honest. It's going to get lost in the campaign. It's kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a statement yeah. of intent, maybe. I think to continue talking. It was hard enough to get to phase one. Let's, uh, you know, maybe you're yeah. right. Take a take a breath on that. Although, you know, Navarro on Squawk this morning was talking about, you know, these these trade issues with other countries, right. and I wonder, you know, if there are flare-ups here and there. Now, granted, they they probably won't be viewed as as large as with China, but how much, if at all, the market will pay attention to anything. Uh, that happens along it's the a trade statement front. of orientation that we're going to continue to contend for better terms. That's fine. I don't. I think it also could be taken as their attention is going to go toward things besides China, which means if there's a phase two, it happens, you know, at a low burn behind the scenes. 
Well, I also think you've got to take into effect the fact that we have struck, started to strike some bilateral trade agreements. You've got USMCA. Brexit moving forward, uh, you know, the expectation is that the U.S. starts to engage in trade talks uh, with the U.K. as well, what all of that can mean from a positive side as well, despite what's going on with China. Yeah. You uh, you guys want to finish the uh, the Gone, Carlos Gone chat? Again, oh, I mean, yeah. we started we started this Let's conversation by that. noting this incredible, <laughs> you know, a, apparent escape, you know, from... Uh, from Japan, uh, where Carlos Ghosn, he spent a lot of his childhood in Beirut, so he, he escapes to Lebanon and says he's going to freely talk to the media in the days ahead. Uh, that's sort of, you know, roughly paraphrasing what, what he has said, and we'll see what happens on yeah, that Yeah, I front. mean, obviously hanging over this entire affair was this sense of, from, from his side that it was, um, you know, essentially it was sort of a corporate espionage type thing. It was, you know, on be, the government on behalf of, of Japanese companies. Uh, kind of drumming up these charges and then also of course spotlighting the Japanese you know criminal justice system with a nearly unanimous conviction rate and all the rest of it. So it's, it's a fascinating, all the little subplots. I mean, and just even the impact it's had on the future of these auto manufacturer consortiums and, and what that will look like going into 2020 and beyond as well. Yeah. I'd be fascinated. Once we do get some sort of reporting on it, you know, how this actually happened, how somebody as high profile as Mr. Ghosn, uh, seemingly under some sort of surveillance or watch or, or something, could escape yeah. uh, in the dead of night or however it happened. Uh, He's in house arrest, right? To, yeah, to uh, to end up in Beirut. We shall yep. see. Yeah, await details. Yep. Uh, when we come back, a red hot year for Chipotle. The stock up more than ninety percent. CEO Brian Nickel will tell us how he plans to keep the momentum going in twenty twenty. And as we head to a break, a look at the dogs of the Dow for twenty nineteen. Uh, you see, these are the uh, worst performers in the Dow. Walgreens. Pfizer and 3M actually negative. The traditional dogs of the Dow, the highest dividend yielding stocks in the Dow, those are also uh, on that list, I believe, except for Boeing. More Squawk on the Street live from Post Night at the NYSE when we return. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Getting into the spirit on this, the final trading day of 2019, final trading day of a great decade for the market. See what lies ahead when we ring in the new year. 
hours from now when we begin trading a new year. Decade uh, annual total return for the S&P, 13.5%. Keep in mind that 2010 started, the S&P was already up 50, 50% off the lows from early that year. So we talk about it being a decade-long bull market. It's actually, you know, 10 years and nine months at this point. So you're not exactly getting it to the very beginning, but roughly speaking, and that's obviously a couple percentage points better than the long-term average for stocks. Yeah. We should remind people as well what you're looking at at the bottom of the screen, which we were just speaking of a moment ago, the president tweeting literally minutes ago that they'll sign phase one of the trade deal January 15th at the White House with representatives of China being present there. And then at a later date, the president says he's going to go to Beijing where talks will begin on phase two. So a presidential visit in the new year to China seems to be in the cards. They'll get phase one signed, according to the president and others who were talking today, including Peter Navarro on Squawk Box this morning. But stocks not moving a, a whole lot on that specific headline, as you you know, you wouldn't expect that they would. We figured that this was going to happen. Yeah. Just getting a little more detail as to how the whole thing's going to take place. Really, since October 11th, it seems like when you had that sort of de-escalation move, people were handicapping that the phase one deal was going to happen. I think the market has put this uh, kind of in their pocket uh, and said that this is a premise of what we're, we're, we're doing. And by the way, the Chinese economic numbers have also stabilized, obviously related yeah, uh, to the fact that right. trade tensions have gone down. And, and that's been uh, something that's really underpinned just this confidence that the global uh, industrial activity has probably bottomed in the third or fourth quarter. Yeah, and China has been continuing uh, with, with stimulus measures. Um, you know, to your point, you had PMI out of China unchanged overnight, above 50, so still showing signs of expansion rather than contraction for a second straight month in a row. And of course, we get more of those numbers uh, globally over the coming days post-holiday as well, including here in the U.S. with ISM manufacturing on Friday. I'm going to ring the bell in a, uh, ring the bell, excuse me, in a couple of minutes. Uh, let's talk about Uber for a minute, um, because Uber and Postmates are suing California over a new law that could force the companies to treat their uh, their workers as employees. Uh, this is everything, right? This is the this is a game changer for the business model of of Uber and Lyft. Uber's set to open lower so yet yeah. again this morning. Um, you know, one of the most disappointing of the IPOs of 2019 for certain. Who knows how how this is going to shake out? But this is huge. Yeah, and it, it, what's interesting to me is the fact that they are just filing this lawsuit now, right at the end of the year. I mean, you had the California Trucking Association come out and file a similar lawsuit as well, because this affects more than just the delivery companies and, and the gig uh, economy workers and companies as well. You've had organizations representing freelance writers and photographers uh, put a lawsuit out, too, saying that AB5 is going to unconstitutionally limit free speech. So it could have very wide-ranging uh, effects. And, of course, we have had a number of companies like Microsoft who've come out and said that they will put these regulations into place, not just in California, but on a national level as well. So I have a feeling that this is going to be a pretty big fight that makes its way through the court system throughout 2020. The law takes effect on Wednesday. Yeah. Right. And presumably, I mean, the companies are betting that they're going to have some kind of a stay or maybe they're going to get relief on the on the immediate imposition of the of the new law. But um, it's everything if it happens, I guess. But there's already been so many doubts about the whether the business model can ever work. I look at the stocks and say, maybe this maybe these guys have kind of taken their pain for now. It's been trying to bottom out or flatten out for a while. Uh, you heard the clapping start. That means they're about to ring the bells here at uh, the New York Stock Exchange, the big board, Bank of America, and Bryant Park, celebrating the seventh year of the Bank of America Winter Village at Bryant Park in New York City. Uptown, the NASDAQ, the Times Square Alliance getting ready for tonight.
next big festivities, unlike a year ago, the weather looks to be pretty good today, too, in New York. Maybe near 50 degrees, clear skies. Last year was just a deluge, a cold, oh, rainy So you're going to get out there, then? No, I'm not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you guys done it before? I did it once. It, when I was, uh, yes, in I did it last year. I, I did college. it last year, just to do it once. But there it is. It's hard to believe that that's where it's all going to take place later this evening, because it looks dead right now. But you know it's not going <laughs> to remain that way for very long. No. Um, and it looks like, uh, you know, obviously starting to the downside here with the uh, with the major indexes. We just uh, heard Ryan Dietrich uh, on Squawk Box from LPL Financial say that the last day of uh, trading day of the year uh, has only been up seven out of the last 20 years. So it just seems like it's a day mechanically when uh, when people back away and they bought all they're likely to buy going into the new year. See if that uh, holds true today and just sort of soften up that uh, that total year to day return. The other thing to keep in mind is to remind people that it is a full day of trading today. Yes. Um, many many would expect maybe before a holiday uh, that we would have an early close, but uh, you know the exchanges like to basically let everybody do all their business by the end of the year because there's a lot that needs to be knitted up. Yeah. Still though, light volume day in terms of what is outperforming relative to the market right now, uh, given. The red uh, across the board is utilities. It's the single sector that is in the green. Consumer staples uh, are also right around the flat line. Uh, Energy, tech, and communication services are the worst performing sectors again today uh, in the S&P. Russell looks like it's hanging right around the flat line as well. I'm looking at shares of Apple. Uh, Michael mentioned the the kind of year that Apple had over the last 12 months. Stocks up 80%. Uh, Over the decade, it is the biggest winner of the Dow. It is up 868%. Yes. This could be an interesting year for Apple. Didn't start the decade in the Dow. Well, it didn't start in the Dow. Yeah, it won a place. It'll get credit. It'll take yeah, the credit for absolutely. for the gain in the Dow, but after you know, after such an amazing year, that maybe didn't necessarily match the fundamentals of the company's performance. It still did, you know, obviously an, an amazing job. Sure, of course. Their services business is is where the money is being put. The chips are being put in in, in that place. You know, things like the wearables and the the uh, the AirPods and things like that that are just we're flying off the shelves towards the holiday season. You can't necessarily say an eighty percent move in the stock was directly relative to the company's fundamental performance. No, earnings There's still questions about the iPhone and earnings, earnings estimates have been steady, basically flat since about January thirty first. So. This isn't about people kind of revising up, at least on paper, what they think the company's going to earn. It's about the sustainability of it, I think. Uh, And the P.E. went from a depressed level of 11 or so at the bottom early January of this year to about 21, 22 on a forward basis. So it's now trading at a premium to the market where a lot of folks thought it should be for a long time. But, you know, the stock owes you nothing at this point, right? I mean, kind of to your point, everything that the market has loved, which is great balance sheet, buying back a ton of stock. Um, you have a very steady uh, earnings stream. And also, I just think the way they've smoothed out the phone upgrade cycle, yeah. right? And it's no longer that much suspense about are they going to ha- actually have uptake of the new phone because they've you know allowed these purchase plans and automatic upgrades and things like maybe, that. Maybe those are the best words to use when you're talking about Apple. Smoothed out. I like yeah. the way you put that. In so many respects, Tim Cook, he smoothed out the way that he dealt with the trade issues with the president. He was one of the certainly... Um, the more vocal people with the president about the impact of trade. He was visible in ways that other CEOs may not have been. This was a year of, of smoothing out in many respects, getting people to look past maybe the, you know, the, the deficiency in sales of the iPhone and some of the earnings estimates to focus on the high growth areas of services and wearables and get past the trade headwind. Sure. 
Um, again, I, what, what's the next act? If, is, if there is one, the stock has had a history of going on these amazing streaks when it's considered to be dominant and, you know, bulletproof. Uh, and then, you know, it just basically comes in for some harvesting because uh, it goes from under-owned to over-owned. I'm not sure we're at that point yet, but that has happened. If you go back and look at 2012, it was like the only stock driving the market. And then the overall market had a great year in 2013, and Apple didn't do anything. And in terms of a next act, I think it's going to be at least... From a Wall Street standpoint, it's going to be 5G. And that 5G model that gets introduced next fall and just this broader ushering in an advent of 5G that we've been hearing so much about and that could potentially have such a big impact uh, throughout the tech sector. Amazon's going to be one to watch yeah. in the new year. Underperformed the market this year where a lot of the big cap, big tech names did well. Very Amazon conspicuous underperformance, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it, you know, you could kind of be generous and dial out two years and look at the chart and say, well, it had a monster move above 2,000, got there twice, uh, and it's, it's kind of been just sort of digesting that for a while. But something seems to have happened in the, in the, in the attitude, I think, toward, toward One Amazon. One day shipping. Right. One day shipping exactly. happened. And higher than expected costs associated with it. Exactly. And so all of a sudden... You know, Amazon's obsession with giving the customer everything possible becomes very much uh, a worrisome cost element uh, and logistical element to, to the companies. And, of course, I think that'll be one of the themes for Amazon uh, going into 2020 as well. There's also been some concern that you're starting to see some deceleration in the growth rate of that AWS business as well. What does that look like into 2020 with these broader cloud wars? It's part of the reason why that Jedi Pentagon cloud contract has been getting so much attention. It's not the biggest contract by any stretch. You're talking about... Maybe at the most up to $10 billion over 10 years. Microsoft won it. It was a big upset for Amazon. Amazon's now challenging it. It's not the dollars. It, what, what, it's re, what it represents in terms of future contracts, future business with government, with corporate America, and is Microsoft now becoming a more formidable foe to AWS? I was going to say, it's kind of hard to be negative in any respect on, on Amazon. I know it you know, underperformed relative to the S&P. Morgan, you, you mentioned you know, the issues with government contracts. And yes, there, there has to be a managing of the relationship in some respects with the government. Obviously, the president and Bezos uh, are adversaries yeah. in, in, in many ways, and I, I don't think that relationship is going to cool uh, or thaw anytime soon. Otherwise, why, how could you possibly be that negative on Amazon's prospect? No, when, when the stock's yeah. down, people say, ah, oh, it's a suspending year. Well, they'll, they'll, right. you know, they, they, they've got the, the pulleys. They figure out what's going on. it shows how much these tremendous dominant platform companies their performance is all about eye of the beholder. I mean, not as much changes in the business as changes in kind of the Wall Street narrative and investors' willingness to pay up uh, for the existing business, right? So you're right. Not a lot has changed there uh, in terms of growth rate, the company's, you know, priorities and all the rest of it. Yeah. And, of course, we did see the stock rally last week post-Christmas when they put out their numbers around the holiday season as well. So I think that is one of the things that at least analysts, the Wall Street community is focusing in on is all of these investments into delivery, logistics, uh, its core retail business, whether we're going to begin to see those pay off in a much more meaningful way in 2020. We mentioned By the way, still 96% buy ratings on Amazon. I mean, that's oh. one thing that, that never budged was the allegiance of the sell side. I'd, I'd be surprised if it was anything but. Yeah. Let's mention the fact that you know stocks are uh, in the midst of turning around and going positive as well. The S&P is now positive by a fraction. Dow is uh, down by just about six points. Apple, which was negative, has now gone positive. So uh, we'll, we'll see what the, uh, the, the final... The, the bulls are going to try and have a say 
on this last day, even though I'm surprised that that stat that you read about the final trading day being down more times than not. Uh, In the last 20 years, anyway. I don't think it extends back beyond that. Okay, we'll take uh, 20 years. It's a decent sample size. It's also one of those things, again, mechanical stuff around the close. In this world of ETFs, a lot of it does uh, hinge upon just the rush for that final auction. Be easy to push things around today, too, right? There's going to be no volume whatsoever. I mean, there really hasn't been any. And some of the strongest names uh, for the year are are the names, once again, just as we saw yesterday, uh, that are taking a breather today. Key example of that, actually, within aerospace and defense is Lockheed Martin. Reached its 2019 target to deliver 131 F-35 fighter jets to the U.S. and allies. That was an increase of 47 percent in terms of production. Uh, or that's what they're expecting in terms of production in 2020, I should say. Uh, they've also brought the cost of the F-35 down a year ahead of schedule this year. I bring it up because it's 25% of Lockheed Martin's overall revenue. So another key target for them to hit and actually surpass this year. Stock's up about 50% year-to-date, and yet it's taking a breather today on this news. Yeah. I was going to look at some of the retail names just because we were talking about Amazon and you know, we'll have a retail conversation coming up later uh, in the hour, but you know, the, the big winners are still winning. Best Buy's up today. Uh, Target's been a standout all year. Remarkable performance. I think that stock's a double. Uh, that stock's flat today, but I believe it was a double on the year. Brian Cornell's done an amazing job over at Target. Walmart's been good. Costco, Best Buy, Amazon. That's been the big story in retail. Walmart, Walmart excuse me, uh, is up today. What I want to know is in the new year, whether some of the laggards, yeah. you know, uh, uh, let's pull up Macy's, for example. Oh, yeah. Whether some of these stocks can get out of their own way in any way. It's been a sector that has not rewarded value contrarian thinking at all. Basically, the, the acclaimed winners have kept winning, the ones you mentioned, the omni-channel ones. But if, you're, if you have a lot of stores and um, you're, you're kind of clothing-oriented and you're in every mall like Gap or something like that, uh, no matter how cheap the stock looks, it has not worked down 30% or so this year. So I do think that's a big question right now. One thing that's been absent, of course, is private equity. Years ago, distressed retail was catnip for leveraged buyouts. That hasn't happened in years, and it shows you that basically the structural challenges make, uh, make the private equity guys on the So if you can even have too many fleas for private equity. In this case, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's go to Bob Pisani with more on what's moving this morning. Hey, Bob, happy new year to you. Happy new year, Scott, and always a pleasure to be with you. Look forward to being with you in 2020. Um, interesting about today, we do have an announcement from the president they're going to sign the China trade deal, but it's not moving the markets at all. A sign that we've already got that trade deal already priced into the markets here. Banks have had a good quarter overall, fractional on the upside. Consumer staples, unchanged Fennec, uh, the semiconductor SMH has been the star of the year. My, my bet for the number one ETF of the year, energy, uh, Good run here in the last month or so, flat today in retail, uh, up about 3% on the month, down a little bit today here. Important thing is, are we bottoming on the global economy? You want to watch these manufacturing numbers that we've had recently. So we had overnight, last night, we had the China manufacturing numbers for December, about in line, but only about 50. That's break even. It's not showing any improvement. It's just flattening out. And the question is, is this good enough for 2020? Can we move the markets forward on that? Japan retail sales, industrial production, end of last week was a disappointment here. So now we're going to get the Eurozone PMI and we'll get the U.S 
U.S. ISM manufacturing uh, numbers. China's had a great year, by the way, up 22%. Let me just show you what we're doing on the global markets. You had to have a really hard time losing money in the global equity markets this year. I call it the year of 20%. Everything up 20%, not just the S&P. Equal weight. Now, everybody complains only five stocks, ten stocks are moving the S&P. That's not really true. Equal weight was up 26%. All 500 equal weight in the United States. The Russell 2000 also having a good year. Not quite as good as the S&P, but still up more than 20%. Here's what's really encouraging. Europe's been awful for years. This is a great number overall. This is the broad European markets. And China has underperformed for years as well. So very encouraging that you've got two sectors that have been uh, global sectors, international sectors, underperforming for a long time that have done a little bit better overall this year. Let's talk about what's going to happen uh, in 2020. Are we going to be up or down? I don't know, but I t- play the averages and I look at the total returns, including the dividend for the S&P 500. I've shown this many times over the years. The last 90 years, the S&P 500, including a dividend year over year, is usually up. It's up 72 percent of the time. From December 31st, December 31st every year is up 72% of the time, including the dividend, and you should include the dividend, and it's down 28% of the time. And now everybody emails me and says, oh, Bob, we're not going to have another 20% up year. That doesn't happen. Yes, it does happen. In fact, it happens a lot more than anybody likes to acknowledge. If you take a look here, you can see we're up about 20% of the time or more, 36% of the time, more than one-third. It's the largest categories up 20% or more in the S&P. And again, this is 90 years of data, and it's including the dividend here. 10 to 20% advance, 21% of the time. Add this up, 57% of the time, the S&P is up more than 10% year over year. Then take a look here, 0 to 10, 15. How about decline? Only 28% of the time is it down. Now, here's a 20-year chart of the S&P, and the naysayers always said, oh, Bob, what about 2,000? Yes, the years 2000 here were terrible. We ended up down, actually, in 2009 compared to the end of 1999. That was a bit of an anomaly, and you can get periods when market underperforms. So nobody's trying to say the market invariably goes up. But over longer periods of time, more than 10 years, 10, 20 years of overall, the market tends to increase. And that's why long-term buy-and-hold strategies are generally the most widely recommended, unless you're really good at picking individual stocks. Guys, back to you. Usually bails you out if you uh, pick a bad entry point, Bob. Good reminder. Uh, a record-setting year for the NASDAQ composite as well. Let's go to Frank Holland, who has uh, got his place in Times Square up at the NASDAQ. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Mike. You know, the NASDAQ coming off two down days, starting today fractionally lower. Now it's moved fractionally higher, still below that 9,000 level that it reached last week. And as you mentioned, still on pace to finish this year more than 30% higher Turning now to the FANG stocks, they make up more than a third of the tech-heavy index. They're all either up or down about a half a percent. Apple, the best performer in the NASDAQ 100, up right around a half a percent right now. Biotech, another big part of this index. The IBB ETF, fractionally lower right now, still on pace for its best year since 2014. Yesterday, it was retailers that were making the gains here on the NASDAQ. Today, it's all about tech. We're seeing AMD, Micron. Also, we saw Broadcom move from negative to positive just a few minutes ago. So, so far, a somewhat positive day for the NASDAQ, at least starting off in early trading. Back over to you, Morgan. Frank Holland, thank you. When we return, the 2020 playbook on tech. Also ahead, investors in Chipotle have big reasons to celebrate. Stock is up more than 90% this year. We'll talk exclusively with CEO Brian Nickel about his company's game plan for growth in 2020. Squawk on the street. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Major averages all now fractionally higher, but what better way to end 2019 than with a look at tech? It's this year's top performing sector. So what about the road ahead? Josh Lipton has the 2020 playbook on tech. Tech is on a tear, the best performing sector this year. Here are three predictions for next year. First, Apple makes its 5G move. The global 5G rollout is underway, promising super fast wireless speeds. Apple will unveil its own 5G iPhone in September. But it won't be just new hardware. Expect new 5G-enabled experiences, too, perhaps in augmented reality. You can bet that with a major network upgrade, Apple will introduce new features. Second, hardware spending softens. CEOs could spend less on technology next year. Vendors from Dell to HP have highlighted macroeconomic challenges. That could be bad news for hardware makers, but good news for others, like cloud giants, including Amazon and Microsoft, and subscription services like Zoom, technology that could be cheaper for corporate customers. Third, make or break for wearables. Apple dominates wearables with its popular watch and AirPods. Now it's time for rivals to make a choice. Throw in the towel or step it up with acquisitions. For example, Google plans to buy Fitbit or introduce competitive products like Microsoft with its new Surface earbuds coming in the spring. Josh Lipton joins us from San Francisco with more. Josh, good morning and happy new year. The wearables piece of this really gets my attention. Obviously, it's such a growth point for Apple and, and something that a number of analysts uh, just in recent days have highlighted as part of the bull case for Apple going into 2020. How have they been able to create and maintain such a lead? And is that is that lead going to narrow next year? So that, it's an interesting question, Morgan. Um, one, I think one interesting data point is some analysts do estimate that only, you know, despite the traction and success, success we talk about here, that only about 10% of iPhone owners actually use the watch today. And that's why you see at least some on the street plenty bulled up. They think there could be plenty of runway ahead there. Um, I think there's two broad reasons for Apple's success. Um, one is they are obviously able to leverage that install base. You have 1.4 um, billion devices out there in people's hands. That's an enormous advantage for Tim Cook. But I think beyond the install base, you simply have to give Apple credit. Um, under Cook's watch, they've launched the watch. They've launched um, the wireless earbuds, the AirPods, um, which are in hot demand. I just checked uh, the Apple's online stores. If you want AirPods Pro, and Jim Cramer, remember, said that was the one thing he wanted this holidays. Um, they're not going to get delivered till January 30th. So I think um, clearly advantages here for Apple. We'll see how rivals do respond next year, including Microsoft with those new devices coming out in the spring. And Josh, uh, when it comes to 5G, obviously the industry is, is trying to make this an event and try to get consumers really focused in on this being a qualitatively different thing as opposed to just, hey, networks always get faster. Guess what? That's been happening for decades right now. Do we think that consumers are ready to actually make a purchase decision based on this? So with 5G, you can understand the advantages and benefits there, Mike. Yeah, faster speeds, lower latency. You can see how that's going to impact consumers, a range of applications, even applications we haven't even thought of yet. I, think, I do think a lot of analysts think that's going to be a much more 
meaningful 2021 story, but that doesn't mean that investors start to place their bets in 2020 of who they think really benefits there. I think one interesting story there will be, um, you know, we just mentioned Apple. Um, One key risk you're going to hear analysts talk about is if these carriers are slower than we think in rolling out those 5G networks, how does that sort of impact investor expectations, at least, about success and traction that Apple could have with that 5G iPhone that we would expect to come in September? Josh, thanks a lot. Talk to you again soon. Well, you already know about how tech has fueled the NASDAQ rally in 2019. As we head to a break, here's a look at the year's worst performers in the NASDAQ 100, with Mylan and Kraft Heinz topping that list of losers. Squawk and Shoot. Be right back. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.